Amen. Take a minute to get rid of your cup, greet one another, and uh, then we'll uh, get to Deuteronomy chapter 18 as soon as you're ready. Water. So we are doing a baptism immediately following this morning's service. If uh, if you need to be baptized, um, we uh, we have one on the docket scheduled. But uh, if you, if you want to join in that, and if you're thinking, well, I didn't bring a change of clothes, I know I need to get baptized, but I didn't bring a change of clothes, I'm not ready for that. Well, that's okay. We'll baptize you anyway, and you can just call them soap and wet. We've uh, we've done it a, a couple different times. We've done it many, many times, but we've done it a couple different times where we had uh, one or two scheduled, and uh, before we were done, we on one occasion we baptized twenty-one. On another occasion, we baptized nineteen. So, you know, we've got. Uh, bunch of towels, and, oh, thank you. Um, there might even be a hairdryer around here, but uh, anyway, if you're inclined, uh, immediately f- following this morning's service, we'll, we'll take a minute to let people depart and uh, go that need to, but uh, then we're going to move the chairs out of the way and uncover the tank and at least baptize Gary uh, this morning, and then... Uh, Anyone else that may be inclined. Deuteronomy chapter 18 is where we are this morning. Uh, We're still uh, hearing Moses as he's speaking to the younger generation that is uh, preparing to go into the promised land and experience uh, what it is that the Lord has waiting for them uh, there. So... uh, here, uh, this is a recounting of the law, but there are some interesting points within it and some uh, application even for today. I, I'm, I'm glad I wrote this down. I wrote it at the top of my notes so I wouldn't forget. <clears throat> some of you have been praying. You're aware of Pastor Scott Gallatin uh, from Calvary Chapel in uh, Farmington, uh, New York, or referred to as Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes. Uh, Scott um, has uh, been battling uh, bladder cancer, and uh, he would just about be cleared up, and then uh, there would be more blood in his urine, and they would go in for biopsy, and he'd have to have more work done, and uh, I contacted him this morning, and he said that the last two samples that they took were both benign, that he has uh, no cancer uh, presently, that uh, he's been pain-free uh, for uh, some time, and uh, he was, when I contacted him, he was headed to the pulpit to preach this morning. So, uh, he's, uh, doctor doesn't even want to see him for three more months. So, uh, no radiation, no chemotherapy, uh, no treatment right now. So, continue to keep him in prayer, but, uh, you know, quite a blessing to hear uh, that he's doing uh, that, that well. So, Deuteronomy 18 is where we are. I just didn't want to 
forget to give you that update, uh, especially for those of you that have been praying. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, verse 1 says, The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. So the offerings that are brought to the tabernacle made before the Lord in, you know, by fire, the priests will have his portion, and it describes that portion that's given to them. But in particular, when he says that they'll have no inheritance, specifically talking about the land, uh, the land is going to be divided up amongst all of the tribes, and each of the tribes has their portion, then each of the families, and then each of the individuals has their portion of land that is given to them. The entire tribe of Levi uh, does not receive portions in that same way. Uh, they are given homes to live in, in the cities, and then they have a common plot of land that would be assigned to the Levites in order for them from that community, if you're a Levite and you have a home within the city, then you were able to farm land together with the other Levites to get food and raise cattle and take care of those things. But they didn't have anything that they could say, this is mine, this is my land, I own this. The, the purpose behind this is the Lord wants the Levites scattered throughout all 12 of the tribes. He wants them there as ministers. He wants them there to lead the people, to be examples to the people, to teach the people, to help them go and meet the Lord, uh, which will ultimately be in Jerusalem once they get into the land. <clears throat> and you go through uh, the two changes until they finally end up uh, building the temple in uh, Jerusalem. The portion that they're going to receive is from what is brought to the Lord at the temple. He's going to give us the specific descriptions of how the animals are to be divided up. Uh, a portion, <clears throat> when it's a fellowship offering, when it's a, an offering made to the Lord in this way that's being described, a portion goes to the Lord, it's burned in the fire. A portion is roasted and given to the priest, which is the portion we're talking about. And then a portion is given back to the person who brought the offering We've described it many times how for the Lord and what he's describing is that's them sharing a meal together. That everyone involved in the process has that common meal that they're, they're eating together. And that's how the portion is going to come to sustain the uh, Levites as they serve the Lord and serve the nation of Israel in this way. Verse 2, therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. And then this statement, the Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. And there's many different ways to go in examining this. Um, both Matthew, the tax collector, who becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ, we assume that he is, we safely assume that he is of the tribe of Levi, because he's known as Levi. Uh, generally speaking, if you're of the tribe of Benjamin, you wouldn't name your son, you know, Levi, indicating another tribe. He's living in open rebellion to the priestly calling of his life as he serves the arch enemy of Israel, the Romans, and even worse yet, 
He's a tax collector for the Romans. So it's betrayal upon betrayal in the mind of the Jews in that case. Uh, Secondly, we know that John the Baptist's father was a priest serving in the temple when the announcement came to him that his wife Elizabeth was pregnant and going to bear him a child. And yet John is not functioning in according to the priesthood. And there's some discussion as to whether he was part of the Essenes and had come out of the wilderness. But the bottom line is he's not following the organized religion of the priesthood because it would seem he recognizes the hypocrisy and the corruption that is part of the priesthood. And he's following the Lord in a far more pure sense and calling the nation of Israel to repentance. So the example of those who are Levites serving the Lord or not serving the Lord within the nation of Israel, they all have this opportunity to be a priest and to serve the Lord in this way. But it means that they're not going to have any inheritance. They're not going to receive any land in the process. The Lord is their inheritance. Now, while that is here specifically assigned to the priesthood, the tribe of Levi, the descendants of Aaron. This begins as God forms the nation in its origin with Abraham. So you might want to make note of Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, right there next to Deuteronomy 18, verse 2, because in Genesis 15, 1, God says to Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward. So it needs to be in the life of the believer that whatever else may come as a blessing or a portion or a result of your relationship with the Lord, that the Lord is your goal. Right? There are those false teachers prominent on television who are telling people, you know, if you'll become a Christian, if you'll give to my ministry, if you'll be part of this whole program, then the Lord's going to make you healthy. The Lord's going to make you wealthy. You know, you're going to always prosper in all things. It's a really strange doctrine because nowhere in the scripture is that taught at all, right? We see most of God's ministers throughout the scripture suffering, right, as a result of being a follower of the Lord. The Lord is the reward, right? Uh, Paul suffered with some kind of physical malady that was so great that he described it as a three-foot wooden stake driven through his body. Right. We, we read, you know, a tent stake and our mind thinks, you know, like our little L.L. Bean vinyl pup tent and, you, you know, rubber mallet pound something into the dirt gravel of your rented campsite is what we're thinking. You know, in his day, a tent stake was a mobile home, right? The Bedouins lived inside massive tents that had rooms that all of their families lived in. And they had huge stakes that they put on the cart in big bundles and they would drive them into the ground. That's what he was. He was a tent maker, right? He's talking about giant wooden stake driven through my body. That's something that I suffer with that is severe. 
And he had asked God three times to have it removed. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? Throughout the scripture, we are promised. Right? You, know, you, know, you get your little promise book at home, your you know, prayer packet of daily bread promises or whatever. You know, rarely, right, do you see Jesus' words in there where he promises us that in this world you will have tribulation. Right? You're going to have difficulty. You're going to have hardship. You're, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be put down. So, you know, maybe you were hoping that I was going to lift you up this morning. Good news. You can suffer too. You know, that, that, that's where we're at. Right? This whole thing we're involved in, it's not about the paycheck week to week and what you're going to prosper here on earth. The whole of our program is about the retirement plan. Right? It's, it's when we reach eternity and we hear our master say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Enter into my rest. That's what we're waiting for, is the day where we experience him. Where all the questions are answered, where all the trouble goes away, where we no longer have to suffer and strain under all of these difficulties. For right now, what you're going to experience in this world is going to be very difficult and very challenging. It's, it's rare that it's any other thing than that. Verse 3, and this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice, whether it is a bull or a sheep. They shall give to the priest the shoulder. That sounds pretty good, right? Shoulder of meat. That's, that's a pretty decent cut. We want to take that right there. The cheeks. Best translated, the head. Right? If you were thinking something else, right? You know, rump roast or something? No. You know, this is the shoulder and the head. And then, tripe. Everybody likes tripe, right? The stomach. So you shouldn't think that these priests are making out too well. They are receiving certain benefits and certain choice elements, and they are being taken care of. Verse 4 says, the first fruits of the grain. Now that's actually where it gets good, right? Because everything that's spoken of here is not just the first portion of the harvest. He's going to talk about the grapes, the wine, and the things that are harvested. It's not just, okay, harvest is started, and this is the first section that's ripe, so let's harvest that and get it over to the priests as quick as possible. No, first fruits is actually like grade A. That's what it means. It means the best portion. So, wherever in the crops, wherever in the vineyard, wherever in the orchard or the field, there was that choice section each year. That you know, Maybe it was different each year. This year it got just the right amount of rain. It got just the right amount of sun. It's just really great. This is the best portion. That's the portion that is to go to God and thereby to the priests. This is how they're going to be taken care of. The first fruits of your grain and the new wine and your oil and the first of the fleece of the sheep, the top choice, the great A, you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. Two portions that I want you to consider in this. 
The first is, sometimes people would look at this and think, well, those priests are really making out. They're being so well taken care of. Remember, right? They get no inheritance. They have no land. They can't cultivate it and build it up and make it something huge and turn it into an industry and make money on it and get wealthy. They have common ground where all the Levites in their community plant and harvest together and divide evenly to have their sustenance. So they don't get to just sit on their laurels and receive the paycheck. They do have to go out and work also. And then they receive this other portion. The reason that they do this this way is the Lord wants these people to make their relationship with the Lord their highest priority. He wants the people of the land investing in the Levites knowing that these men draw us near to God. They're the ones who teach us. They instruct us. Paul says in the New Testament in regard to receiving payment for his preaching the gospel and serving each of the churches the way that he did, he says, I'm paraphrasing, is it inappropriate for me to receive from you earthly things when I have provided you with eternal things? The care for the relationship with the Lord is what these Levites were responsible for. And in the process, the Lord is saying, I want you to take care of them in such a way that they never have to worry about, boy, if I serve the Lord, I might not be able to make it. Make sure that they're taken care of so that they can just continuously minister on your behalf before the Lord. I think that that's a very wise prospect that the Lord has put forward here in this situation. So if a Levite comes from any of your gates, from where he dwells among all Israel, and comes with all the desire of his mind, he has to want to do this, to go to a place which the Lord chooses, then he may serve in the name of the Lord his God, as all his brethren, the Levites, do, who stand there before the Lord. They shall have equal portion to eat uh, from what every you know, what all the Levites receive, they'll receive equal portion besides what comes from the sale of his inheritance. So whatever he came to Jerusalem to serve with, right? If a guy shows up and they've been extremely industrious and he's got some portion of wealth or money with him when he arrives, they're not supposed to look at him and say, well, you're doing okay already so you don't get to have a full portion like all the other Levites. The Lord allows for industriousness and says, no, if, if he comes and he's already done what he can with the little that he's been given, then he's supposed to receive equal portion with all of the other Levites that are serving there before the Lord. So the Lord goes through a few subjects here in verse 9. He talks about avoiding wicked customs. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. So the nations that are in the land that are going to be driven out, the Lord is saying, don't follow any of their 
practices. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or is a sorcerer. Now again, Christianese, our terminologies. So we need to just look at these things in light of what was originally written and intended. One who would cause their son or daughter to pass through the fire. There was the horrific practice of worshipping fertility gods. And frankly, sexuality was a huge part of that. Resultingly, there were a lot of unwanted pregnancies amongst these pagans. So what they would do is soon, usually the child was born and they would burn the child right there. As soon as the child is born, offer it up to Molech, Diana, Aphrodite, one of these pagan gods. They'd been birthed because of the sexual practices associated with the idolatrous worship, and the full expression of that was to murder the child by burning it in fire. And there were several different practices that they went through. The Lord is saying that can be any part of your lives as believers. Now listen, there is that modern application today where the church is engaged in sexual immorality the same way that the ungodly world is. And unwanted pregnancies are the result. And so people have abortions to get rid of the child that they don't want. And the Lord is literally saying, I mean, that's the modern application. You can't, as believers, number one, one participate in sexual immorality. And number two, the child that may be conceived under such a process is a sacred life and cannot be terminated. You know, we put all these clinical terminologies on it and it seems so sterile. It's still the same thing. It's still behaving sexually the way that the ungodly pagan world does and then dealing with the unwanted pregnancy by terminating the life of the child. We do have modern application to you know what the world refers to as dating. It is so ridiculous what our culture has come to, how completely criminal our culture has become in its sexual behavior. I'm having conversation with some younger people about, well, you know, we'd like to know how to conduct ourselves as Christians inside, you know, this atmosphere of dating in this world. But, you know, the scripture doesn't have anything to say about that, they're telling me. And I'm thinking, like, what Bible are you reading? You know, they're, they're being fed a bill of goods that's completely false. The scripture has a tremendous amount to say about sexual immorality. You know, if you're not aware, oh, well, you know, it doesn't say anywhere that you know, homosexuality is a sin. No, it very specifically does in Corinthians. And again, let's keep this in mind, right? Homosexuality is no more sinful 
than heterosex outside marriage. God, God isn't angry, right, with the pursuit of pleasure. What he's angry with is the fact that you're destroying yourself in the process. You know, even if there's not sexually transmitted disease, even if there's not an unwanted pregnancy involved in it, what you've got to understand is God intended for one man and one woman to come together for life. And, and here's the real kicker. To sort out the problems of dying to yourself. When you enter into a marriage, the whole process is learning to not take care of you and to take care of your spouse. It, it's, it's about dying to yourself. Whatever you know, I say with so many young people, you can just see the glazed over look on their face. It does not matter what you say. All they can think about is, I'm going to get to be with this person. Right? Any of us that have been married more than uh, 10 minutes, you know, know that the biggest portion of what goes on is you don't get to live for yourself anymore. You have to live for someone else. And to whatever degree you refuse to do that, that's where the trouble enters in. That's, uh, you know, listen, marriage counseling is actually very easy because it's all talk. Leaving out the counseling is what's so difficult, right? You just have to die to yourself. That's all there is to it. You've got to go through the process of dying to yourself. The Lord has a great deal to say about it throughout the scripture. Here, First thing, any no one should be amongst you that causes their son or daughter to pass through fire, to die as a result. Or one who practices witchcraft, okay? Witchcraft straight up, just like you would think of it. You know, idolatrous worship, following after demons, any of that practice that you would imagine. But, right, take passing your child through the fire, killing your child, your unwanted pregnancy. Take that and move it forward to Jesus Christ's New Testament explanation, right? Because a man who has lusted after a woman with his eye has already committed adultery, is what Jesus said. Right? And then people go, well, that's bad news. Yeah, but Jesus even goes even further and says, regarding lusting after someone with your eye, you've already committing adultery, that if your hand causes you to sin regarding lusting with your eye, or your eye causes you to sin regarding lust, then you should cut off your hand or gouge out your eye so that you don't end up in hell. Wow, Jesus just moved the bar all the way up to if your thought process is sinful, it's equal to actually going out and physically sinning. Wow. That's heavy duty. Okay, so now apply it to witchcraft. Because according to Samuel, as he confronts Saul, he says rebellion is equal to the state of witchcraft. It's the same thing. Rebellion. Knowing there is, number one, an authority, 
And then number two, refusing to submit to it. Now, in our modern day of tyrannical leaders telling us that we can and we cannot do certain things right now, right? Can't go to church. You got to get a vaccine. Have to wear a mask. Can't stand within six feet of another person. All these different things that they're telling us right now, particularly in regard to going to church. Okay? Both Peter and John told the religious leaders of the day who told them, you can no longer preach in Jesus' name. They said, well, <coughs> you want us, I'm paraphrasing again, you want us to obey men rather than God. So you can forget about that. We're going to obey God. And they continued to they continued to preach in Jesus' name. Here's the summary of what we're dealing with right now. To obey tyrants who are breaking the law is to disobey God. Whether you understand that or not, that's the truth of the matter. Right? The scripture commands us to meet together. Hebrews 10.25 Do not forsake the gathering together. And I have pointed out to you recently that the gathering together is being assembled, fit, interlocked together. I used the example of Legos. Silly as that is, right? They interlock. They snap together. They become a unit of something. Right? If I... Go home to your house this afternoon with all of my tools and I tear the engine of your car completely apart so that every single part of it is now disassembled from one another and I just put them all in your garage and you come out and flip out on me and say, what have you done to my car? And I say, well, they're all right there in the garage. I have assembled them together in that box. You're probably going to call the cops, is what you're probably going to do, because I just destroyed your car. They need to be assembled together to the place of functionality. That's what the author of Hebrews is telling the body of Christ to do. This is why Facebook doesn't work that way. This is why video conference is not the same thing. We have to come into this place and be assembled together. That's the commandment of the scripture. So to obey, right, someone, right? Look, if Janet Mills puts out a mandate and says, okay, everybody from this point forward has to drive 100 miles an hour everywhere they go. As fun as that sounds for some of us, there are others of us that would say, I am never going out on the roads again. Oh, you, you, you know, a few of you are going, that'd be cool. Look around, you know, at the 15-year-olds and think about whether you want them going 100 miles an hour through downtown traffic, through your neighborhood. Okay? If someone tells... 
the world. I hereby decree this is legal and must be done. If you know it to be wrong, right, obeying the tyrant that is telling you to break the law is to disobey God. We are being told we can do certain things and we cannot do other things. You have to know what the Lord is telling you to do and you need to obey that. Okay? I have set 30 plus years in ministry and I mean like from sweeping floors and cleaning toilets all the way up to where I'm standing here been in this pulpit for over 20 years preaching. Okay? <clears throat> the biggest regret and I've got a lot of regrets because I'm very human and I've served in this capacity for all these years. The biggest regret I have in all of my time of serving is not having church on Easter Sunday last year. That day passed, and i got to tell you, I, I was so ashamed of myself for not having done what I knew my conscience was telling me to do. And we opened our, our doors in this church the next day, and they've not been closed since, and they will not be closed again. Because God has commanded us to, I don't care what people say, and I can talk to you at length about the dangers of COVID-19, and they are real dangers, right? I have an autoimmune illness where my body attacks itself. I get COVID-19 and I live through it. That's my mom right over there, 83 years old. Triple bypass, all kinds of compromised health issues. She got COVID-19, recovered from it very well. Infant children in my home, grandchildren, COVID-19 recovered very well. Do you guys know right now, they're doing this thing about children recover at a rate of 99.9861%. Okay, here's the deal. 100% of children survive. They take the one case and they calculate that in and then they have to fractal that 1%. It is so small a percentage. You're literally talking about, what, you know, 100% of children survive it. And they do the best at creating immunity for the rest of the environment. What our, I'll stop, okay. Here's the deal. Be informed. There is a panic. There is fear-based insanity in our culture. And you need to be informed and make the decision. You know, I said I was going to stop. I'm not going to stop. Um, one of the most dangerous things I could do as someone who has had COVID-19 is get the vaccination. Okay, I don't know if you're aware of that or not. Having had it, right, and having an autoimmune issue puts me up in the percentiles that begin at 46% chance that I'm going to have a very adverse effect from that vaccine. It extends all the way up to 68%. Between 46 and 68% chance that I'm going to have a very adverse reaction to having the vaccine. Guess what my doctor's number one recommendation for me was? Get the vaccine. Right? I said, wait a minute. Isn't that contrary to what the studies have said? They said, what studies are you talking about? Because they think I'm talking about like Dr. Google, right? <clears throat> and I said, no. Studies completed by the National Institute of Health. Oh, 
Yeah, no, that is what they say. Then why are you suggesting that I get this? Well, that's, that's what we're told to say. Thank you very much. I said, well, couldn't I just get tested to see if I have the antibodies? And if I have the antibodies, can't we count that as sufficient? Yeah, we can do that. So I get tested for the antibodies, and I'm loaded. I'm loaded with antibodies. So right now, I, uh, you know, I have one of the smallest concerns for COVID-19 or any of the variants, by the way. But you would not believe the documentation that they gave me with the results from that test that basically said I should not rely upon the immunity that I have to spare me from any future event and I should go get the vaccine. Are you kidding? That, that would be one of the most damaging things I could do in my scenario. And even though I would be, that's what they're insisting upon me. We were living in a time where you need to be informed and you need to make your own decision. Look, if you go with the vaccine and you show up here tomorrow, praise God. Right? I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm just not, I'm not even anti this vaccine. I'm just saying you need to have the freedom to make the choice you want to make without some tyrant breaking the law and telling you you have to do something. There's the whole foundation of this nation, you guys. So where was I here? Witchcraft. <clears throat> Witchcraft. Right? Rebellion is equal to witchcraft. There are authorities and we do need to obey them, but you've got to be wise in the process. Or soothsayers. Right? No soothsayer. Soothsayer is just like it sounds. Soothing. Saying. That's, that's what soothsayers do. Right? You might think like fortune teller. Yeah, that's sort of the picture. Right? They make tons of money. Tons of money, right? Go down, see the psychic, soothsayer. And be like, tell me about my future. And they're like, I can tell you're a very caring person. You can be the worst jerk on the planet, but they're going to tell you that. Right? Why? Because it appeals to your senses, right? Flattery will get you everywhere. Isn't that what they say? Right? A soothing saying... Right? Eases the money out of your pocket into theirs. Soothsaying. This is what they do. This is what soothsaying. And look, there's all kinds of soothsayers. No? Some of the soothsayers, right, are psychologists. You're not really a bad person. You just, you need to think better of yourself. Your problem is you have low self-esteem. You know, well, if you actually talk to that person's family, everyone in the family might say they should feel bad about themselves. They're a terrible human being. No one should say nice things to them or about them. What needs to happen is this person needs to come to the reality that they're a jerk to everyone and they need to change in order to get along with people. Right? People say that stuff, don't they? Well, I just got to speak my mind. 
No, you really didn't need to. We didn't need to hear what you had to say. It didn't help in any way. What they're really saying is, I'm a jerk, I can't keep my mouth shut, I can't keep my opinions to myself, and I just want everyone to hear what I have to say. Soothsayers. They come in all kinds of... There shouldn't be soothsayers in the church. Right? They're kind, well-meaning, soft-hearted people that just go around and they're always trying to smooth over where sometimes things need to be confronted. Things need to be addressed very directly and dealt with. And yet, what they want is just tickle my ear the way I like to hear it. So they don't tell me that I'm living in sin. Don't tell me that my living with my girlfriend is fornication. Don't, don't, tell, me, don't tell me that my drug use is a sin. Tell me, tell me that it's an illness. See something soothing. Tell me it's not my fault. Guess what? It's your fault. How do I know that? Because I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. And I'm still working on the jerk part. <laughs> Ask my wife. Not soothsayers. Or one who interprets omens. You know. Look, a lot of Christians have gotten away with this. Gotten away from it, I should say. You know. They no longer see crows and, you know, worry about how many guests are coming to their house or, you know, weird things like that. But I've heard Christians say things like, well, you know, bad things come in threes. No, sometimes they don't. You know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes they come in twelves. You know, uh, sometimes they just come in ones. You know, how, how about all the blessings that come from the Lord? Right? Well, why are we interpreting things according to that which is superstition? Follow the working of the scripture. Sorcerers. Okay, oh, well, wasn't that covered by witchcraft? No, this is actually drug dealers. So, so the term sorcery is pharmakia. And that's where we get the word pharmaceutical and pharmacist from. Okay, well, you need a pharmacist. Right? If you got heart disease or you know, you need your blood pressure medication or whatever. But if you're incredibly depressed and what you need is Jesus Christ to cure your heart and mind, you probably you probably don't need the antidepressant. You probably don't need the anti anxiety. You know what the scripture says about both of those things? Anxiety in the heart of a man produces depression. I've sat down with many people who are overwhelmingly depressed. I say, tell me what's going on. And they start with a list, and they get a ways in, and I'm thinking, man, I'm depressed. <laughs> and they go, well, that's not the half of it. I say, good Lord, where are we headed? And they just keep going. And I'm left thinking, if I had to deal with all of this, I wouldn't be depressed. You need to simplify your life, get rid of the debt, repair relationships, Get a certain group of people out of your life. Anxiety produces depression. See, if we would look to the scripture for the answers, we wouldn't have to turn to the pharmacist or the witch doctor, you know, whatever, whoever's writing you that prescription. 
or the drug dealer next door, right? How about this, right? Yeah, we're all hearing all about marijuana and what a wonderful thing it is and how it cures everybody of everything. It's just amazing, right? Well, well here's the thing, right? They say, well, not a lot of studies have been done. That's completely false, okay? That was the number one hook in my life, marijuana. And so I've studied at, le at length the stuff that's going on right now, especially because I work in a drug rehabilitation facility. Okay? Oh, everybody's talking about, oh, pain reliever, pain reliever, pain reliever. Okay, well, guess what? Marijuana's not a pain reliever. At all. Right? Not trying to talk down to us in the room. Can anybody tell me what marijuana is? It, it is actually acts as a depressant, but it's not a depressant. It's a hallucinogen. It creates a state of euphoria through hallucination. Right? You know what the number one side effect is from marijuana use, chronic marijuana use? Schizophrenia. Schizophrenia. And they're prescribing it. What is, gonna, what is the next generation going to look like, you guys? If we think this generation, right? All those flower children who've all gone to seed or now, you know, out in public and look at what they're... No? Okay. Look at Washington, D.C. Do you know what I'm talking about now? And what they're doing. The insanity of what's going on there. What is going to happen, right? Because there has been a whole bunch that have said, oh, it's illegal. I won't have anything to do with that. And now it's legal. Now it's recreational. The melee that is going on in our culture right now. It's, it's a horrifying to consider where we're going to be. This should not be, it's going to be in the world, you guys, right? But it shouldn't be in Christianity. It shouldn't be in the faith, right? One who conjures spells or a medium that communicates with the dead or a spiritist. Now, I'll dwell on that for a moment. I'm not going to go all day. I promise I'm going to wrap it up at some point. <clears throat> a spiritist. <clears throat> AA, NA, Al-Anon, right? All started with Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson was the founder of AA. Very often, we are told, falsely, Bill Wilson was a Christian. Bill Wilson was not a Christian. Bill Wilson specifically said, in many different occasions, in many different ways, but he specifically said, when questioned about his faith being Christianity, he said he gagged on the thought of being accountable to the God of the Bible. He was a spiritist. He sought the guidance and the influence of spirits, inviting them to enter his body, his mind, and his soul. His own words. He traveled around to the different spiritist meetings, seeking spirits. By the end of his life, he insisted that he had a spirit guide that lived in his body that guided him and he had begun doing that thing they refer to as auto writing where he would seek the presence of the spirit he would fall into a trance and he would begin to write 
And there are those who were present who say Bill Wilson wrote the 12 steps to AA in an auto writing trance. Consider this when it says, right, we sought to improve the conscious contact with the God of our understanding. Think about what that means for Bill Wilson. He's seeking spirits to come into his body that he can communicate with them. And he's writing as part of the 12 steps that you should seek to improve a conscious contact with a God of your understanding. Not the God of the Bible. Not Jesus. Right? Bill Wilson was a spiritist. There are churches right around us that have AA meetings in their buildings regularly. That is a Christless religion. AA is a Christless religion. No? You can go to those meetings and talk about how your cat is your higher power. Your Harley Davidson is your higher power. Nature is your higher power. If you say Jesus is your higher power, you'll be thrown out of the meetings. I say that as one who started an AA meeting at 7.30 on Thursday nights in Keene, New Hampshire that still exists there every Thursday night at 7.30. I was deeply involved in it. What I'm telling you is that within Christianity, this should not be part of our function, right? We have an addiction support group Bible study right here every Friday night. And we... Seek to make disciples of Jesus Christ there. We don't treat people with the illness of drug addiction or alcoholism. We bring people in who live with the habitual sin that need to be delivered by the power of Jesus Christ. We teach them to follow Jesus Christ and to trust and study his word and experience that freedom. The church is horribly mixed up on all of these issues. Or one who calls up the dead. You know, the mediums that would communicate with the dead. What a strange practice that the world is engaged in. You know, go pay somebody a large sum of money so that they can communicate with Aunt Melva, who's passed away. You know, you're looking for... You know, the world that was lost that's going to tell you where the millions are and what Aunt Melva's going to tell you is how much she loves you and how much she misses you and how you should just enjoy life and love people. And They never tell you where the will is or even where the lost car keys are or nothing. They just speak soothsaying, communing with the dead. It's a sham. It shouldn't be amongst the body of Christ. For all who do these things are an abomination. Listen, you got to get abomination in your mind, okay? I'm going to gross you out just for effect. Many years ago, I was at a friend's house, and his dad asked us to move an old dog house that was in the middle of the yard. They hadn't had a dog in years. Need to get the doghouse out of here, bust it up, burn it in the fire out back. So, three of us, 
my friend, myself, and his buddy went over and grabbed a hold of this doghouse, yanked it up off the ground, and we start to go left with it. Now, don't be scared. The ground was not covered with maggots. It wasn't. It was ant eggs. White ant eggs. And what happened was we yanked this up to the ground and we head to the left and the ants, this is a giant ant hive, just go crazy and all the ants grab the ant eggs and they just start running. So the ground is just now a crawl with what looks like maggots going a million miles an hour. <laughs> My friend Al's friend saw that. In his mind, the ground had just exploded with maggots, and he just whipped around and hurled all over them. That's literally what the term abomination means. That upon coming in contact with it or seeing it, it causes a convulsion within you to project everything out of your body. Abomination has become this, you know, Christianese sterilized term. It's an abomination, you know. No, no, you got to think like hurling, <laughs> uncontrolled vomiting. That's how the Lord views these things, right? He doesn't want any of this in the church. Think about how much all of this is in the church. Go back to my first statement about making children pass through the fire and abortions. All of our numbers are the same, according to Barna Research Group. Divorce, the world, same in the church. That's Alcoholism, the world, the church, identical. Drug addiction, the world, the church, identical. That's crazy. Right? That which calls itself the church, right? Here's the horrifying thing to me, right? Because adultery and fornication are identical to the world. The abortion rate inside the church is slightly higher. Because if we're participating in adultery and fornication at identical rates, the, the shame associated with them in the church causes slightly more abortions to take place. Right? We read these things and we think, like, amongst the believers, we're like, of course, no, absolutely, and I should not be there. Bill Wilson, AA, Sooth saying, all this garbage, it's in the church. And then we look around at our nation and we go, what is going on? Listen, the world is going to behave that way. That's a given. It's the fact that the church is this corrupt. It's, it's, where does the blame lie? The blame for what's going on in this nation lies squarely on the shoulders of the church. We haven't preached the gospel. We haven't demonstrated to the world a difference of faith. Why do you think they all say of us they're a bunch of hypocrites? Because the church acts the same way as the world. Listen, the few of us in this room need to behave differently. There needs to be the remnant. There needs to be those who have a sincerity who live this out. We don't get our picket signs and go stand in the corner and scream at everybody that's going by about how they're all going to hell and they're a bunch of sinners. Right? We need to live properly in the grace of God, right where we are, 
as examples to lead people into the faith. That they can see the sincerity in the way we live and say, there's something different about that. For all the other stuff I've seen, there's something different about that. And I want what's going on there. We need to live this out. Let me just close this again. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you, the the wicked nations that he's going to drive out of the land ahead of them. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations whom you will dispossess listened to the soothsayers, the diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. We need to live differently, amen? Our lives need to be marked as different, and especially now. Especially right now, as we have seen the world just come unraveled before our eyes. We're in the last hours, and people need to see a difference in our lives. Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand and we'll pray. We'll take a minute, and then we'll baptize any who want to be baptized. Father, I thank you for your scripture. I pray that you would help us to be men and women who are surrendered to it that we would live our lives before you by the power of your Holy Spirit, not in arrogance or not as holier than thou. We would just understand the need to surrender to you and to see your will done in our lives. Give us the strength to live according to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.